welcome to the ABCA's podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Brownlee. This episode is sponsored by our friends at Rapsodo. Rapsodo, the industry leader in baseball player development technology, has a special offer on their hitting and pitching 2.0 units. Go to rapsodo.com backslash rapsodo hyphen savings and get up to $1,000 off. Trusted by the best in baseball, Rapsodo is used by all 30 MLB teams, 100% of Division I champions since 2010, and 100% of the top 100 prospects in this year's MLB draft. Scott Brown, Vanderbilt's pitching coach and associate head coach, had this to say about Rapsodo. Everyone involved in teaching pitchers this day and age could benefit from owning Rapsodo and using it for immediate feedback to educate their pitchers. Again, save up to $1,000 when you decide to train and build champions with Rapsodo. Visit rapsodo.com backslash savings and take advantage of this great offer. This episode is sponsored by Netting Pros. Netting professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Netting professionals specializes in the design, fabrication, and installation of custom netting for backstops, batting cages, dugouts, BP screens, and ball carts. They also design and install digital graphic wall padding windscreen, turf, turf protectors, dugout benches, dugout cubbies, and more. Netting professionals is an official partner of the ABCA and continues to provide quality products and services to many high school, college, and professional fields, facilities, and stadiums throughout the country. Netting professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Contact them today at 844-620-2707 or info at nettingpros.com. Visit them online at www.nettingpros.com or check out Netting Pros on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. Make sure to let CEO Will Miner know that the ABCA sent you. Now on to the podcast. With COVID pushing our 2020 ABCA convention to a virtual, we felt like it would be beneficial to interview our Hall of Fame inductees for that year. We've continued that tradition since. At the Hall of Fame banquet, our inductees only get three to five minutes to talk, so this podcast allows them to tell their stories and get a few more thank yous in before the ABCA convention. These have been some of my favorite interviews over the last three years. I encourage you to go back and listen to past Hall of Fame interviews if you haven't. Hope to see all of you at this year's ABCA convention in Nashville. It truly is a celebration of the coaching community. We continue our 2023 ABCA Hall of Fame inductee podcast with former Dublin Kaufman and current Dublin Jerome head coach Tim Saunders. Coach Saunders will be our first OHSAA coach going into the ABCA Hall of Fame. Coach Saunders retired from coaching Dublin Kaufman after the spring of 2020 after 33 seasons as head coach and 40 seasons coaching overall. He finished his career with 589 wins and 600 winning percentage. The Shamrocks had 10 league titles, five district championships, two regional titles, and won the 2001 state championship. He's an Ohio native and got his coaching start as an assistant at Portsmouth. He took over the Megs High School program in 1989 and spent time on Bob Morgan's staff at IU before taking over the Dublin Kaufman program in 1989. Coach Saunders is a 38-year continuous lifetime member of the ABCA. He was the former ABCA High School Divisional Chair and past president of the Ohio High School Baseball Coaches Association. He currently serves as the Executive Director of the NHSBCA. 
Let's welcome Coach Saunders to the podcast. All right, here with Tim Saunders, 38-year continuous lifetime member, uh, ABCA, former Dublin Kaufman head coach, but now back in the game, Dublin Jerome, um, but was high school committee chair for a long time, and now 2023 ABCA Hall of Fame inductee, so congrats, Coach. Thank you, Ryan. Appreciate it. You know, what, what are your thoughts on making the ABCA Hall of Fame? You've given your life to the organization, so what are your thoughts? Well, I think it's the highest honor you can get. You know, I'm thinking about that, other than – Major League Baseball Hall of Fame. This is probably second in line. Yeah. Uh, it's real honor. It's very humbling, and um, got some great names in that list. Still, great names trying to get on that list. So, uh, I feel very fortunate in my career and what I've done, and the people I've met over the years, and the fun I've had uh, all the way through. And I, I didn't know this. You're our first Ohio uh, high school coach that's going in. Correct. I think I looked it up. We have six uh, college Hall of Famers from Ohio. Yeah, and I'll be the first uh, first high school coach. But I mean, how how are you how are you prepping for your three to five minutes? I mean, it it seems like it's not a lot of time for you guys. It isn't. I think uh, I think you know, and I've watched a lot of Hall of Fame's deal, and uh, you know, instead of thanking everybody in the room one at a time or a group, it's just say thank all you guys and tell your story a little bit, and and what you can do to motivate younger coaches who start out like me. I tell you. I started out in 81 as a, or, uh, in 1981 when I was in college as a graduate or as a, uh, as an assistant at Portsmouth High School. And uh, we got beat in the state finals. The next year, at 22 years old, I took my head varsity baseball job at Meg's High School in Southern Ohio. And uh, we won four games. And the next year, we won five games. So uh, I'm thinking, man, I'm, I'm not only going to be, you know, some, something special here. I'm not even going to ever get to 100 wins. So things can turn around. You start off slow and you just got to stick with it and, you know, keep plugging away. And luckily for me, uh, we got better the third year and fourth year. Then I moved up to Indiana University as an assistant. So things things uh, just fell in place for me after a slow, slow start. That's for sure. How did you get to IU? I mean, what, what, I don't see it as much anymore with the high school guys going to the college side. How did you get to IU? Well, at the time, I had a I had a catcher um, that was a senior my first year at Meg's High School. In the very first game, he was a very good player, uh, Jeff, uh, Terry Whalen, and he ended up uh, in our very first game. He was blocking home plate, and the guy didn't slide, and stepped on his leg, and tore his knee out, and he was out for the year. Well, Coach Morgan had known about him from the past, and uh, got him to go to Kent State and played baseball for him at Kent State. So that was my introduction. I never knew Coach Morgan. I never knew any college coaches, to tell you the truth. And uh, he was speaking at a clinic, and I walked up and introduced myself to him, and that's how I got in. How, and, uh, I mean, said, how, how was your time in Bloomington? I mean, I think it's one of my – besides Iowa City, it's my favorite uh, big team. Uh, I loved it there. We had great friends. I got to hang out with uh, Dan Dockage and Ron Felling, the basketball coaches, uh, tennis coaches. We all, you know – at that, even at that level, it's kind of like the high school level where on Fridays or Saturdays, you're having to get together and you get invited to some places with each other. And I uh, got to know some great, great coaches in all sports and, uh, uh, and just the city of Bloomington, you know, I'm coming from Columbus and being a high state. Yeah. It, it's a big, big campus and there's a lot of things going on. Uh, but in Bloomington, everything was about IU sports. 
if they didn't have IU there, Bloomington would be just be a little, a little burg like all the rest of the cities in, in the Midwest. But uh, they were 100% sold on every sport, just like rooting in a little community or a big community with your own high school. Uh, so at a larger scale, it was just a, it was a great place to be. What were the things that were kind of eye-opening for you going from the high school side and then the college side? Um, I think mostly just the, just the in-depth detail that had to take place. Um, uh, of course, being able to coach all day long and not have to teach, not have any other responsibilities other than working on the field and getting ready for practice and having your coaches meetings about what's going on at practice. So you get your role defined. Uh, and I was, uh, you know, to be honest, I think the best way to do that is just be all ears and soak it in. And there are some things that we did that I, that, I coached under a great coach, uh, John Tipton in Portsmouth, that I learned from. <clears throat> and it wasn't different, but it was it was different. I said, okay, well, if this is the way we do it, this is the way we do it. So I think some people have a hard time letting go of what they think is right. But maybe it's right for them, but it's not right for the program or the head coach. So, you know, when you work for somebody else, you, you listen to what they have to say. And uh, if you want to stay there very long, you probably better do what they say. And teach it the way they say, and handle you know handle situations the way they say, and uh, and that was refreshing. I mean, I learned so much about you know the paperwork part of it, and of course you know going to that level, we weren't used to traveling at the high school level, <clears throat> you know, other than a bus trip, you know, down along the high river that lasted 45, 50 minutes. That was your farthest trip, but you know he put me in charge. Coach Morgan put me in charge of uh, the trips, the Florida Airlines, getting things set up calling the hotels before we went there, making sure we had this many rooms, making sure we had these meals planned for the team. Uh, you know, it was eye-opener because it, <clears throat> it was big business, you know, and it's even bigger business now uh, than what it used to be. But, and the other part was the recruiting part. Uh, you know, the one thing I did not like about college baseball is recruiting. Uh, and back in the day, before you had cell phones, before you had all the, uh, you know, all the Zoom GPS. meetings. And yeah, and all and all the social media, uh, you had to dial the phone and call them. And uh, you know, when the coach says, "Hey, call these thirty people tonight," it's like, oh, "Are you kidding me?" Uh, and I just talked to him two days ago. We'll call him again. Uh, so it was, you know, and kids today aren't any worse, I don't think, than they used to be back forty years ago, thirty-five years ago, when it was a lot of kids don't talk. You had to ask a question and almost answer your own question to ask another question, uh, to get to know the kids more and get to know what they're doing and more about their family. And, you know, three word sentences that, that, uh, that leads to a boring phone call. Big 10 so, back then it was, it was double header days, right? It was a two Saturday, two Sunday back then for the big 10. It was, and we had four East sevens. And West. It, it was, uh, no, I think it was four nines. Yeah. But, um, if we got rained out or something, we might be short. We didn't make them up. But at the same time, we had uh, we had the east and west side, so we didn't play. You know, we never did play some of the schools on the west side. Uh, if we did play Northwestern, it'd be a one game during the middle of the week. Uh, Illinois, one game in the middle of the week, stuff like that. But uh, you know, in the facilities, I've I've always loved going to other places, and I copied a bunch of stuff from my field from what I saw at at, at the different fields that I played at or uh, coached at over the years, and. Um, you know, 
at Ball State, I loved, uh, we went to Ball State and it was below zero weather. We didn't cancel. We were on the road. They didn't cancel. We got off the bus and it was 40 mile an hour winds and it was, it was cold. And we would put three guys off at a time off the bus to take batting practice at the cages. And then they'd go in and get warmed up and three more. So myself and coach Morgan, and when my hands get cold, I can't do diddly squat. So when coach Morgan said, no, we got to stay and throw. I mean, I'm so froze. I can't, I can barely uh, get the ball to the plate. So, but they had trees, they had arborvitae trees around their outfield. And, and so I put those in my field years later, but I got that from Ball State University, uh, you know, back in the eighties. So picked up a lot of stuff I liked and tried to implement those later on in life as I got my job at Kaufman at Dublin. So yeah, it, it was a lot of fun. It was, uh, it was a lot of fun and I wasn't really looking to leave. I thought I was going to be there for a while and you know, I got a call from Dublin and said, Hey, can you come over and interview for this job? Well, the difference of, you know, pay back then for to be an assistant coach, I got paid $10,000 a year. And then, uh, you know, all of a sudden I got a chance to make $36,000 a year being a high school coach, a phys ed teacher. So that's how I jumped from college back into high school. Yeah. yeah. And you're happy with the switch, right? I mean, you, yeah, yeah. It, it was awesome. I still stay in touch with the friends. We, my wife graduated from IU. So I met her there. She was an all American swimmer there. And, uh, and with the switch, we got married two years later and uh you know now we go back to homecoming and she visits her friends and i get a run up and see ron felling and uh, different coaches and we walk their assembly hall and still see a face we see once in a while uh, and my kids enjoyed it because you know we both have our pictures on the wall there at uh, uh, the basketball arena so it was a uh, it, it was a great experience a lot of fun I mean, who, who did you really lean on when you first got into it to, to help you and mentor you? Um, probably John Tipton. John Tipton, you know, I went to Rio Grande College, which is a small NAIA school in south, southeast Ohio. And I met a guy that uh, was a baseball pitcher for Rio Grande named Roy Kelly. Roy called me. I had no job lined up for the summer after my freshman year. Roy, Kel Roy calls me about two weeks after school's out in late May or early June, says, hey, we need a counselor at Valley Vista Sports Camp. Well, Valley Vista was uh, a, a place where they had summer camps for the week. People came in for a week and left, another one comes in a week. Well, I ended up taking that job, and, uh, and actually it was called Ted Klazuski's Baseball Camp. Ted Klazuski, big slugger for the Reds. He'd come in once a week and take pictures, and then he'd get in his car and drive back to Cincinnati. So that was his role, but they, they hired great coaches, college coaches that come in and, uh, Dick, uh, Dick Finn from Ohio state, um, Bob Morgan from Indiana at the time he was at Kent state. Um, uh, and then we also had, <clears throat> had Bob Wren from Ohio university as a hall of famer. So those coaches came in, they kind of ran the session for the week. So I got to be a counselor with those guys. And I did that for three years, my, my freshman, sophomore and junior year. I did that in my senior year. I came back and was one of the coaches, but uh, we work from Saturday or we, we report Sunday at noon and then we, we'd leave Friday at two o'clock and, uh, and we got paid $110 a week. Uh, so, but the experience of being around those guys, Bob Starcher from Malone, just some of the great, great coaches that I got to hang around with and watch them. And they all became mentors. Uh, some were better friends than others. Cause I got to stay in touch with them. Other guys I didn't. But uh, 
but no, I learned, I learned every day from, from some of the best in, in the Midwest. What were some of the things you implemented after you were around those guys? I mean, cause you, you pick, I picked up a lot working camp when I was a young coach. I mean, what, what were some of the things you, you picked up from them? Um, besides skill work, I mean, probably the, probably the, the best coach of all was probably Bob Wren that was ahead of his time in a lot of, in a lot of areas. Um, but just watched him speak on hitting. Uh, he showed me a drill once about close your eyes drill that I used. I've used, still used today where you put the ball on the tee, take your stance, take your stride, close your eyes and swing. Uh, you know, just little things like that that I could use. But also uh, it, it was it was interesting talking to coaches about the discipline, how they discipline their players. Some were very free that, you know, we don't make a lot of rules because that way if we and back in that day, uh, if your best player gets in trouble, you don't treat that kid the same as you do that 30th player on the roster. Uh, and then other guys say, Hey, you're all equal. You screw up, you screw up. So, um, you know, and, and Bob Morgan was probably the champion of that. He was a very disciplined guy. And he showed me that he, he would always say that most energetic person in the field has to be the coach at all times. You got to be in control, but you have to be the guy that has the most energy and still today at 70, you know, 70 some years old, he's an energetic guy. And, uh, and other coaches just laid back. They didn't really believe that way. So I, I got the chance to mix and match what I like from certain people that met my personality. You know, I, I, I love Bobby Knight at Indiana. Uh, I loved everything he did in a lot of ways. But I said, you know what? I'm not a Bobby Knight. So I got to take what fits my personality <clears throat> and fits my size-wise. I mean, Bobby Knight was a domineering person. He was a big-bodied person. And, and I wasn't that guy. So I, I knew what I could take and fit within my personality and use and uh, and not be that domineering at all times just from your presence. Uh, but I think in the end, the thing I found most was every every coach that I was around, they cared about their players. It wasn't about them and their win-loss record. And we see it all the time. More people are worried about their career and, and their stats than they are about the kids and getting to know them. And... Uh, I think that's the difference in the great coaches and, and some of the good coaches. You know, when you first got going at Megs, you win four games, five games. I mean, what do you attribute to to then starting to get things going there that third and fourth year? Well, you know what? When you have a when you have a small school system, and Megs was a at that time it was we had triple A, double A, and single A. Triple A was the bigger schools. Double A was the smaller schools. Um, you know, we were graduating graduating about 165, 180 kids. So what I saw was our next best class is our fifth graders. And that's tough to swallow if you really want to, you know, unless that's your hometown and that's where you're going to be forever. But we had a group of freshmen that came through that stayed together. Sophomores, when they became juniors and seniors, we won the league two years in a row. Then we went 12 and nine, 15 and nine. And then I got offered the job at IU. And, I, and that's the time I looked at the, my, who we had coming up and our next best class was our fifth graders. Because, you know, you watch them in bitty basketball, you watch them in peewee football, you know their brothers, you know their cousins, they're all related in some way. And uh, so you get to know the situation. I said, man, I don't know if I can handle this if we have that many peaks and valleys waiting for talent. And, and what I've learned and we've all learned, we're only as good as our talent. We're, if we don't have talent, we're not a good coach. If we have talent, we're a heck of a lot better coach. And, um, you know, getting – getting out of there with the two league championships and 
still being able to go back there today and talk to some of the kids that played for me. You know, we were, we were pretty lucky those last couple of years as we had a kid named Michael Bartram. Michael went to uh, Mike went to Marshall and played football and pitched. And then he got drafted and played for four or five teams in NFL. And it was the long snapper for like 15 years in the NFL. And now he's assistant coach at uh, at Marshall. We had another boy named Mike Chancey, who was the division two uh, quarterback of the year, offensive player of the year that that went on scholarship and played Ohio State for four years under John Cooper. So when those guys, they, they made a difference because they were athletic. And uh, so, yeah, 12 and 9, 15 and 9, I said, you know, I, I'll take it and I got to take this better offer. But, you know, at the time it was kind of funny because we ended up at the, I've always said I could live on soda and bologna sandwich every day. And then I took the job at IU for 3,200 being a graduate assistant. And I was making 16,000 or something like that at Meg's high school. And uh, somehow we made it through. Uh, uh, our assistant coach dropped after four or five months. He went back home and took another job. And then uh, then I got moved up to $10,000 a year. So that saved me. And I did have a little bit of money saved up, but not a whole lot. But yeah, I was living on bologna sandwiches for quite a, quite a while. Now, Kaufman was the only high school in Dublin at that point, correct? It was. It was in 88. And then we split. Uh, uh, we went to the regionals my third year. Uh, and it's the first Kent Merker never made. Kent Merker was a graduate of Dublin. And he, they, they got beaten the district finals three years in a row, his sophomore, junior, and senior year. And uh, we made it to the regionals. And, um, and that was in 90, 91. And then in uh, 96, they opened up a new high school. So we were starting to take off. We were getting, getting pretty good. We won the league. We were in a small division uh, uh, conference. And then after three years, we jumped in the Ohio Capital Conference, which is all division one schools. And Dublin began growing through Muirfield and Jack Nicholas tournament there in Muirfield. The housing development there just went crazy. So our numbers started going, going sky high. And uh, we went into the after three years, we went into the OCC and we won that. Uh, we won the league four years in a row. And so 96, they opened up a new new school in 2005. They opened up the third school, which is Dublin Drum, which is where I'm going to be coaching this spring. You know, so a lot state of championship there. 2001. I mean, after you split schools, did it take did it take a little bit ahead of the roster? And then you kind of had to build things up there when you guys split schools. Well, it didn't. It didn't. When we split in '95, uh, and then the first graduating class was the spring of '96, our entire sophomore class, um, for the most part, left and went to the new school because they could start varsity as sophomores, and they had their they had their option. They could even if they did, there was no boundaries, so you could go to that new school if you wanted to. And uh, when they were seniors, they got beaten the state final four. And then when we opened up in 2005. The, the double drum, same thing happened. The entire sophomore class, for the most part, went to Dublin Drum and they started varsity. Well, when they and when they were seniors, they got beat in the regional finals. But luckily for us, we maintained uh, through the 2000s. And uh, then in 2000, we were in the final four. 2001, we won it. And in 2002 and 2003, um, uh, we got beat in the district finals. But we had a couple draft pick kids in those groups. Bart Hunton was our catcher in 2000, 2001. Uh, and that 
2001 team, we had six kids that went on to play college, four of them Division One, And, um, you know, it, it was just, a, it was a lot of fun. But we held our own until, uh, you know, 2020, we lost our last year because of COVID. But we were, uh, we were still very respectable. And I think in my 33 years there, we, we were two games under 500 once, and we were one game under 500 twice. And everything else was was a, a better than 500 record. So, uh, like I said, if we had a, a pitcher here or there, we had a couple of players. But you know what? When you got big schools or small schools, it doesn't matter. You uh, you got to fill those holes in the lineup, and sometimes you just couldn't find a way to fill them. Are you doing anything different now with Jerome? I mean, you, you just got the job, so it's not like you know probably much about the kids, do you? I, I don't know them at all. We had our first weights yesterday, so that was the first time I saw some of them. <clears throat> I knew a couple of the kids. I coached against a couple of the kids' parents and had a couple of the kids played for me that their kids are now in high school. So that's that's all good. And, you know, we'll, we'll, there'll be another great group of friends that we that I meet through all this. And, and to me, that's what coaching is all about, meeting the right people and good people and taking care of the kids and help them the best way we can. So it, it's going to be fun. And I guess this is going to be it's the one-year deal. Uh, I said we can go 27 and 0, or we go in 27. I guarantee it's going to be one year. So this is my last year. My 40th year was 2020, and I said I'll, I'll call it quits and go back to middle school. I've been coaching middle school the last two years. I saw that. What you? What have you enjoyed about the middle school kids? You know what? It, it's uh, they're all ears. Yeah. They they don't know if they're good yet or not. Yeah. They uh, we we were doing the same thing we did with the uh, with their high school guys, just a little slower pace, and just. Uh, you know, taking your time and there's going to be mistakes, trying to keep kids up and, uh, you know, at a, and, and being at that level or any level, you know, being a varsity coach and you're in charge of your, your staff, I'd always tell them, guys, you've only got one job to do, and that's don't run kids off. Uh, uh, we'll make that decision. Well, they'll make that decision on their own when they figure out they're not playing that much. But uh, if you don't run them off, I have a chance to see them and, and work with them in two years. And, uh and as a seventh, eighth grade coach, you know what? You're just not. You're just. You just don't want to run kids off. Uh, and, and you yeah, know, for you that, know kids, at that age, I mean, yeah, there's you don't been so know, many late and, developing you know, kids. At that it's age. exactly right. And the other part is that's the only identity some of these kids have in school. They don't play football. They don't play basketball. They may or may may not be athletic. Most of them aren't putting all their eggs in one basket yet, which is a good thing. So they're trying to play other sports. But a few of those guys, it's like, all I do is play baseball. And, okay, well, you're probably not going to make it to varsity level. But, you know, for this year, you're with this team, and uh, you can tell your kids someday I played I played baseball in school. Uh, and they and even middle schools now, they put the team pictures up on the wall every year. They've got them for the last 25, 30 years. Uh, so they have some identity. And that's what I was always trying to figure out is how can I give these kids an opportunity to have an identity here while they're at this age. You know, you said kids haven't changed much, but has coaching changed much in the last 40 years? Um, I think it has because what I, what I think is because the parenting has changed um, and not in a bad way, but when we started, even in the eighties and even the nineties, there was a line as a parent, you didn't cross. You just understood that, you know what, that I may not agree with all this, but I'm, but, but I'm not going to jump in the middle of this and say, you know, you're a bad coach. So, but now that line has been erased 
just like young umpires and stuff. There's no, the line has been erased, which is a bad thing. And we don't just let the thing play out. You know, if you're the coach, you got the right to talk to the umpires, maybe even raise your voice once in a while. But at the same time, as a parent, for you to be in the back and badgering, badgering the umpire or the coach from a distance, because I see that too. You know, this guy doesn't know what he's done. Da, da, da. Well, I mean, I, I just refer to those people. They know just enough to be dangerous. Those are parents that know just enough to be dangerous. And yeah, you may or may not have had a son, a daughter that's a really good athlete. Maybe you were a really good athlete, but you're not the one on the field working with these kids every day. And you're not the one that behind the, behind the uh, plate calling balls and strikes. So uh, it, it, uh, you, you got to get the parents involved, but you know what? You also got to let them know, Hey, your kid's not getting any better by you screaming at him behind the fence, you know, making them more nervous than what they already are. So it, it takes a lot more communication, I think, today than it ever did before from the from the coaching side of it. I've sent our parent letter out a lot here lately to some of the high school and some middle co school coaches reaching out about the parent letter that we used to send when I was at Iowa and Western Illinois. And it's good. If anybody's listening, if you want that letter, reach out to me and I can send it to you. Um, maybe a little stern because uh, you're dealing with college-age uh, parents, you know, their kids, but um, you might want to dummy it down a little bit. Um, but then that evolved. I have about seven or eight of those that kind of evolved that, that sent out guidelines before the season for the parents and how they needed to act during our games, and when, especially when we were on the road too. Because I, I just don't think we parents have. understand, you know, at the college level, you're on the road, and I know for the parents it might be a vacation, but for the players themselves it's, it's time to get better and go out and win games. Yeah, and you know, and I think we 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 try to reinforce, or I try to reinforce that you guys failure is okay. Failure makes you. That's how you learn. And when people, you know, and even in the classroom, every teachers are afraid to give Fs because now they got answers to the parents. So you know what? We're just going to dummy things down and get everybody through. But I think um, guys, we're going to make mistakes. I'm going to make mistakes as a coach on what I think is going to be the right move, and it may not be the right move, but. At the same time, we got to make a we got to make a call here, and if we mess up, you know what? The sun's going to shine tomorrow. We just try to do it again. If we get beat and look bad, or we just get beaten a close one, it's hey, that's part of the game, you know. Learn how to deal failure is the probably the most important part of of coaching and teaching um, teaching what you want to teach. But let them know it's okay. It's okay. You're not going to get yelled at and criticized for it, and you're not going to lose your spot for one mess up. I mean, yeah, if it's a major your mess up we got to talk about it but an error here an error there something across the game hey that's that's just the way it is let's move on but i do i have say i have a letter too that i have with my parents but i also have a when i make my roster at the end of the year i'm a, i'm a kind of a guy that i don't i'm not a cut guy uh, most of our varsity teams have 25 to 30 every year on a varsity but those bottom five six guys i sent they have a contract that they that them and their parents sign and it says once we once we talk about playing time in the during the year, then I'll have to cut you on that day because you're here for a reason. Maybe it's because you just like your, these are your buddies. And you want to hang with them. Maybe it's because I really want to get in the game. Well, you got to get a lot better. But as we make our roles, we got two bullpen catchers. All you're going to do is bullpen catch. That way, our first and second catch, catchers can work on the field and work on their game without just being stuck in a bullpen all the time working with pitchers. And some of those pitchers are going to be short relief, long relief, and some are just throwing to get better in the future. And uh, 
they may or may not be getting too many innings in. So I don't want my number one guy wasting a lot of time down there when he should be on the field running bunt defenses, first and thirds, going over the signals that we have to do there with the with the main guys. So it's worked out. It's worked out. People ask me many times, how, how do you keep 30 guys on the roster and keep them happy? I don't know if you keep them happy, but you just got to talk to them. I mean, I got to put my arm around their shoulder just like I do with the with the number one guy that signed with Ohio State and he's struggling or, you know, or he's playing well. Hey, I'm, I'm getting away from you. I'm just staying out of your way. You just keep doing what you're doing. You don't need any coaching from me. So, but it's it's been a lot of fun. And I think once you figure that communication part out, you become a better coach as well. Came over to the Ohio State Barnstormers, so it was great seeing you. And um, you guys, the Ohio Coaches Association, you guys moved your uh, board meetings to that weekend. So I appreciate you guys doing that so you guys could get there. It was awesome to see you. Yeah, it, it's a great group. Um, you know, it's a, it's a dedicated group. Uh, so, and getting involved in that years back and going through the presidency and doing some things with them and staying with them for a long time and running their all-star games and working at those events, I mean, it if you put the time into it, that does become part of your family. And that's, you know, like I say, the relationships are what is most important. And I hate to see coaches go out and they really didn't have any friends and they've been there a long time at their position and they just coached their kids and, and moved on. But, uh, you know, and that's the same thing with the ABCA international high school baseball, seeing coaches from California to Florida to Minnesota to, to Massachusetts to Texas, I mean, we never took a trip with our with our kids unless I knew coaches in the area and that that would take care of, including the summertime. That if we got rained out three or four days, and that's travel ball now, they just go to these places. They might stay in their hotel three or four days if they're getting rained out. But at the same time, uh, Bill Olson in Omaha would say, "Tim, bring them over here to the to the hitting facility. You know, bring your kids over here and work out." And and we take our kids over and watch UCLA work out inside. Uh, if they got rained out, if it's really hot and just watch and you give those kids opportunities that they wouldn't have gotten in the past. And, and I always did it through my connections. I never just took blind luck and said, this is the spot we're going this year and, it's, and we're going to make it work. But it, uh, it, it was, it's great to have friends all over and still touch base with them on the phone or texting or, you know, seeing about their families. Cause you know, I just like teaching. Uh, I think when they closed schools down, it's, it wasn't good because now even I told my daughter lives in Chicago, she's working from home and I'm saying, you know what, but you're missing out on the Friday afternoon get togethers. You're missing out seeing those kids be born and, and then you knew the, the kids at some time. Uh, and then all of a sudden when you get married, these friends become, you know, your family and they, and they know when you're, you had a boy or a girl and watched them grow up. So, uh, yeah, that was always a big part of for me was just going someplace where I knew the guys that would take care of me if we needed if we needed anything. I didn't realize yeah. the Ohio Baseball Hall of Fame is at Ohio State's stadium. So it was cool. It was well, cool. How long has that been there? It's been there about 12, 15 years. Uh, 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 Brad Beals brought he took that and and he was part of when they found us a room that we could put that in. And then uh, when Bealsy left the our new coach is going to use that for a coach's room so we have to move that now so now we're in the middle of trying to find our next spot to put that whole thing but that was the ideal place because you know columbus is right in the center of the state of ohio so all of our events including the state tournaments come to ohio state and come to columbus 
So Cincinnati people love to come to Columbus. Cleveland, we're right in the middle. If we'd ever move something to Cincinnati, that's a, you know, that's a four and a half hour drive. If we moved up towards Cleveland, that's for, for those guys, a four and a half hour drive. But it was just convenient to get to Columbus. And Columbus is a, is a growing and a vibrant city. So our coaches love coming there three or four or five days and different events. So, but Ohio State was very generous when they, when we made that. But uh, yeah, it's been there 10, 10 to 12, 13 years. Whatever I said, Brad, whatever Greg, Greg Beals, whatever Greg was, uh, when he started, he was on board with us from day one. And that's always good too, when you have high college coaches on board with you. And it made, it made a big difference. Did CJ play for you in high school? He did. So my son, CJ, uh, graduated in 2015. He loved basketball. That was his number one sport that he loved. Um, but he played, he played football, basketball, and baseball. He was all district in football. He didn't start playing football until he was a junior. Uh, he went to football because he wanted to get stronger and wanted to be in the weight room more. And then he went basketball, and then he played baseball for us for four years. So he, was, he started he, as a junior. He started on the football team. As a sophomore, he started basketball for sophomore, junior, and senior year. It was all district. He was all district in football his senior year, and he was all district in baseball. He started as a sophomore for us and then was a starting outfielder for uh, – started third base for us his sophomore year. Then he went to center field his junior and senior year. So then that, that fell into place, and he said, you know what, I'm not going to make a Division One basketball team. So – and he, he talked to Greg Beals about coming to high State. He had a spot there, but he said – that I, I want to join fraternity, and they're saying if I, I can't do both, I can't play and also have time to join fraternity. So he didn't play any sports at all. And then at Christmas time, his freshman year, uh, assistant coach called him up, talked to our head high school coach, and he came in for an interview and took his physical on the spot. He started playing football, and three years later, he's a starter. And then uh, his fourth year, he was a captain, and uh, now he's with the Carolina Panthers. So. Do you think it helped him that he started football that late? um, I don't know if it helped him, but I know um, football wasn't in his plan. He graduated, he was 150 pounds, but a five foot 10 guard, he dunked three times in in high school basketball. So, I mean, his senior year. So he, um, and he's an exceptional outfielder that's fast as lightning and he could leave his feet and make plays. So, um, I'm a three-sport guy. I, I want our kids to try to play two or three sports, at least two. I, I don't like seeing our kids put all their eggs in one basket and just play baseball year-round. Uh, but it, what helped him was getting a break from the other sports because he would never start the next sport until the last sport was over. So even in baseball, I said, basketball's gone on. I said, CJ, you want to come and throw in the morning? Just have your arm ready for season? Nope, I don't, I'm not throwing until the last Till we till we get beaten the tournament or till we win a state championship, so two of his two of his three years that he was starter they got beaten the regionals so they went late and he he came out you know a week before the season started but you know what he was fine athletes they adjust quickly they don't take that much time and uh, how long did it take so him he's to get his arm back up? Um, not very long. I mean, especially he, he could milk a little bit being an outfielder. It wasn't like he had to throw it across the diamond every play. But uh, he, uh, he'd be ready to go. I mean, he stayed in good shape, but he, uh, a week, two weeks, he was, he was fine. He was ready to go. How much time did you guys spend working on baseball when he was growing up? Well, I coached, his, I coached all of his teams coming up. 
just because, you know, you can say what you want about parents, but you know what? You need parents to be involved. Good, bad, or indifferent. You need adults that run the different teams. And uh, so uh, I would I would run his team. And um, we had a lot of fun, won a lot of games, but it was rec ball. And once the game was over with, we went to the pool. We didn't talk about the game. We went and got ice cream like everybody else should do. And I never brought up baseball or basketball or football after a game unless he had, unless he started a conversation. But, uh, but no, I, I think uh, uh, we, we got into his first year of travel baseball. He had a buddy that lived down the road that went to a private school, and they had their own little private team kids. And he got to know all of them, and they'd play in the backyards together. And he, he says, Dad, I want to play on his travel team. I said, CJ, I can't let you do that because – I coach at Dublin in a public school. I can't send my kid in another system. That would look bad on our part. And so we have our first tryout. I'm going to be, the, and I picked this, the, the B team, the travel B team, not the A team. The A team was going to play 45 games, and I wanted to play 20 games. Because especially at 10, 11 years old, you know, 45 games is a lot. Uh, maybe too much for a lot of the kids, which it has, which it proves it has, has been that way. But he goes in and he goes to bat off a little pitch machine. He misses like eight balls Then fouls one off. He's got his limit. He's done. He goes to shortstop. He overthrows the first baseman every time he throws the home plate. He hits one in the middle of the backstop. So we get done and he says, well, I guess I didn't make a team. Did I dad? And I said, CJ, I'm the coach dramatically on. He's, he was pissed off for a week. He couldn't believe it. He threw he threw the practice so he wouldn't be picked for that B team, so he wouldn't have to play for that team. So he could play for his with his uh, his other buddies at the private school. So oh. he learned his lesson there. That now we're not going to go against the grain here, CJ. Uh, this is the plan, and uh, you're on the team. But we had fun with it, and uh, and he enjoyed it. But yeah, that was a uh, that was a pretty pretty funny conversation. We said, well, I guess I'm not with you. Well, you are. Do you have a fail forward moment? Do you have something you thought was going to sidetrack you, but looking back now is one of the best things that happened to you? Um, we had, we didn't have too many snafus, but you know what I've always said is that when, when you get yourself in a jam or you have a parent issue that looks like it's not going the right way and you've got to make a call, it's good when you have to kick a kid off a team once in a while, even if it's a better team for different, for whatever reason it might be because that lasts with the other parents for four years. So you're pretty much coasting for four years that, no, we're not messing with that because he'll get rid of you, he'll, you know. And then we had some situations where if the dad or the mom was outrageously obnoxious to me in the stands about their son or about the game, I would pull the starter out. If he was in the game, I'd pull him out and sit him and put somebody else in. And my AD and I kind of got into it. He said at the time, he said, Tim, you can't hold the kids responsible for their parents. And I said, Jerry, that's the only way you can do it because that shuts them up right now. If it's, if it's going to hurt their kids playing time, they will change their demeanor really quick. Was it the right way to do it? I don't know, but it always worked. And, and I only had to do it two or three times in my 30 some years there at Dublin because that, that, and again, that lasted for four or five years that, that people understood it. And I can't, there's certain things here I can't do. Even if I am outrageous, I got to walk off and bite my tongue and cool off before I come back here and watch any more of this game.
Yeah, Coach so, Merkel, my high school coach, was big on on that. He he did not put up with anything. Like he would pull kids. It just it sent a good message. Like we're going to keep everybody accountable, and you got to do do what he's asking you to do, or you're not going to get on the field. Yeah, well, you know what? We always said that you got your triangle like this. You got your players, you got your coaches, and you got your parents. No matter how you flip them, we got to be on the same page at all times, striving for the same, this you know, the same goals, same ideals. But that ideal is we want your kid to have fun. Forget about playing time. If they're having fun, they keep coming back. They look forward to being there the next day. If uh, if you're not having fun, then you know what? You got to find a way to get on the triangle, or else you got to relieve yourself and. And we'd have parents, some really good parents didn't like to be around the other parents. So they just stand down the left field line or right field line. And that that's true at every ballpark. But at the same time, when you're obnoxious, you're right in the middle of, of everybody. Then you're making all those parents uncomfortable, even if they know you. And it's like, guys, you're messing the system up here. You're you're doing more damage than good, especially for your kid. You know, so and, and that's not fair to the boy or girl to whatever sport you're you're playing. But, uh, but yeah, there, there are a couple situations that like that, that you think uh, we may lose these kids today or we may get stronger. And, and for the most part, most of, you know, 99 to 100% of the time, we became stronger because of the moves that, we, that, that I was able to make. And the board or the, the, the administration backed me up on it. Uh, you know, sometimes your hands are tied. And if the administration is not backing you up on it, then you're kind of treading water every day you know, trying to figure out what am I allowed to do and not allowed to do. And, and, and that's probably rough today because coaches don't like to get phone calls from angry parents and administrators don't like to get phone calls from uh, angry parents as well. So you got to find a way to buffer all that. And again, it, it goes back to communication. You know, sometimes a heart to heart talk is good. Sometimes you got to be a little more forceful and say that this cannot happen. And if it does, here's the consequences. I had a guy say, well, you know, I'm going to call the, I'm going to call the principal. I said, okay, here's his number right here. You want it? And he's one of my best friends. Well, I'm going to call the superintendent. All right. I know him too. His son played for me. So he, he's, you know, you can call this guy. I got his number. You want his number? Save you looking it up. And, uh, you know, when you can come back like that, uh, it, it, it has a lot of effect on the way people act. What time do you have to get to the golf course? Anybody doesn't know, Coach Saunders is working at the, the country club. So, I mean, is that a natural progression for a baseball guy to, to be at the golf course? You know what? It is because I always like seeing the sun come up and I top fizz that. I love first period outside. But the only difference is at the baseball field, after the last out, you get the field ready for the next day. So you're cleaning the field up that night. With a golf course, we get the course ready in the morning. So our first tee times are at 9 o'clock. So we've got to get out and get things moving and be ahead of that first golfer teeing off at one or at uh, hole number one that we're ahead of them. And by 11 o'clock, we're finished with the with that part of the work. And then we have to do some other stuff. But, yeah, the, the rake bunkers every morning. I, I, I drive a tractor most of the time. So I'm either mowing or right now we're blowing leaves and uh, getting those off the off the fairways. But um, do you guys ever it, shut it the course fun. down? Can you play there 12 months? You got to shut it uh, down. We have to shut it down with the weather. It's always open for members. Be, uh, but it uh, like it's going to be in the 40s here next week. There'll be a couple guys play the diehards, but for the most part, we we probably mowed our last time today, so we won't mow again until spring. And we mowed the roughs yesterday, so we won't mow those again until spring. But 
but now it's winter stuff. Once it starts getting cold, we bring all the equipment inside and wash it up, shine it up, get it ready for the spring, sharpen the blades, do everything it has to do for the mower. So it, it's a great job for me because I show up and they say, all right, do this. And it's like a three hour job. I'll see you in three hours. And so it's peaceful. There's not a whole lot of responsibility other than getting your work done. And, uh, and I can come and go as I want. If I, I took yesterday off, we had our first uh, weightlifting. So I took our yesterday off and our director here says, Hey, whatever, whatever you need to do, just let us know in advance. So today I'm going to see if I can probably take off a half a day and get some work done at home. I mow my grass for the last time, I'm supposed to be 76 today and high of uh, mid forties tomorrow. So I get a chance to do a lot of stuff and it doesn't lock me into a job where I can, and they let me get off for, for baseball. So I'll get off at two o'clock every day, but, uh, but yeah, it's been a lot of fun. It's, it's, uh, I mean, I could do this for another five, six years, seven. I don't know. Love it. So. Love it. Any books, you got any favorite books? I like asking um, any for that you like personally for yourself or with your team. I like, I like reading, um, uh, biographies. I like reading about pro players, uh, their story. Uh, I like reading some of those. I like just picking up a book sometime. It's more of a mystery book uh, that you sit down and read. <clears throat> and I don't read in the summer or the fall, but I read a lot in the winter. Uh, I like going through Baseball America and catching up on some of the stuff that's going on with names. You know, for the years I was with USA Baseball and, and also with ABCA, I knew a lot of those kids because I got to see some of these kids through USA Baseball. So following those guys through their careers uh, and reading about, you know, different teams and players. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm a winter reader and uh, uh, not so much in the spring and summer. Do you have a favorite ABCA convention story? Um, I don't know. There's so many good ones. I, I just love seeing everybody. The bad thing about I, I you know, I, the the ABCA is the, is the state fair. I mean, it's so much stuff going on and you've got plans to go out to dinner with the group and you know, that gets screwed up. There's a lot of disappointments because there's so much going on and there's no, so the, the weekend goes by so fast, but uh, yeah, probably my, probably my best is watching what's her old guy that did the, the pie on the hat that we still show once in a while. Yeah. It's uh, how uh, Scalinas. Scalinos. John Scalinos, that was probably the best one I was I was at and I and I saw him do this. So I over the years I've had a lot of parents send me that that video that's that's out now. You can find it. And I say, guys, I was at that convention. And it was I was sitting in the in the stands and in, in the seats and it was it was amazing. I mean, I, I loved every part about him, you know, up till his last day, he could still talk. I love being um spending time with Jerry Kendall. Um uh, you know what a great guy and uh, and a and a pleasant guy and a gentleman and uh, just just talking baseball. Uh, Gordy Gillespie uh, sitting around talking to him. You know different guys I'd met that uh, don't even you know I, I knew when I was over my head I would just listen. I'm not chiming in one thing. I just want to listen to your stories and soak up what you're saying. Okay, so, Saunders, what are some final thoughts or something I should have asked you that I didn't? Uh, you know what, the ABCA, just watching the growth in the last 37 years, uh, like I said, it, it, it's a world's fair that's the best world's fair ever. So I would encourage anybody that has an opportunity, you know, 
check it out. Be there at some time. Uh, you know, be a member, join, get the resources that you guys print it, that give out. They're so valuable. Uh, and if you love the game, I mean, I've got stock. I just save everything you guys send and I put it in a folder that I can look back later and do it, listen to it once. But it's so good. I want to listen to it twice and I don't want to lose it. But, you know, thanks to organizations like the ABCA, it, it's made our game better. Um, and it's made our coaching better because now we used to be able to get information just face to face. Now we're getting it daily. Uh, I mean, you can consume your whole day if you want to, to, to using the libraries is out there. And so, um, I appreciate it. And I, and I, I'm honored beyond belief to, to be inducted this year. And we're looking forward to it. My family's looking forward to it. And, uh, and our coaches and friends who are coming down for that weekend, many have been there before, but some for the first time that they'll, They'll be wild, I think, by by the operation and how it works and how it goes. Thanks for your time, Coach. Thank you. Have a great day. I feel very fortunate to be in the position I'm in to be able to meet so many great people. My first convention with the ABC office was Coach Saunders last year as the high school divisional chair before he retired. It's a well-deserved honor for Coach Saunders for all that he's done for the game of baseball. Thanks again to John Litchfield, Jim Richardson, Zach Hale, and Matt West in the ABC office for all their help on the podcast. Feel free to reach out to me via email, rbrownlee at abca.org, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at coachb underscore abca, or direct message me via the MyABCA app. This is Ryan Brownlee signing off for the American Baseball Coaches Association. Thanks, and leave it better for those behind you. Set me free